and welcome into the show. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is Monday morning, 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake up. It is April the 13th. Hope you had a great Easter weekend. For many of us uh, who celebrate this holiday every year, it was a different uh, weekend. Watching online, watching on TV, not being able to to get together with family and friends uh, for the weekend uh, was very different than um, in years past, but it was still a great weekend, and I hope you enjoyed your weekend as well. Um, Last week, uh, some news broke uh, surrounding FIFA and some Fox executives that uh, were uh, indicted. Uh, They pled not guilty, and we are going to have Ken Benzinger joining the show here in just a few minutes to dig into some of that. He's the author of the book Red Card, and uh, the book actually covers some of the uh, earlier parts of this whole legal uh, saga that began a few years ago. And uh, we had him on last summer, uh, and we are happy to have him back on again today to dig into some more of this and kind of pick his brain as to where we are in the process but also, um, you know, where this could go. Um, and, uh, so we'll, we'll see, um, see what his thoughts are coming up here in just a few minutes, uh, over the weekend, um, uh, Tarek Pancha, uh, a friend of the show, uh, he writes for the New York Times uh, in London. Um, he said, U.S. success puts focus on Swiss failures in FIFA corruption case. Switzerland plans to drop a criminal case against Sepp Blatter, former FIFA president, days after the U.S. revealed more charges in sweeping investigation that has upended global soccer. And um, and so he basically gets into what is going on uh, with uh, FIFA and the Swiss government and why we're not seeing more done over there uh, versus uh, all of these indictments and charges coming from uh, the American uh, counterparts uh, rather than the Swiss. They've continued to fail in their efforts. Uh, and, and a lot of people are looking at this as, um, shall we say, a willful fail, that, that they're not really trying to track things down, that there's... Uh, corruption, uh, not only at the heart of the global governing body, FIFA, but also at the, the their home country, uh, Switzerland. So um, it's, it's a story you should check out uh, on the New York Times by Tarek Panja. It was uh, uh, released this weekend and in it is something I'm going to ask Ken about as well. Um, what what his interactions and in following uh, the the Swiss government and uh, in, in their lack of uh, government oversight and investigations into FIFA as well. So we're we're going to get into that with him uh, coming up just after the break. Uh, also, uh, late last uh, week, um, there there was some news that started kind of 
percolating through social media, and uh, it caught me by surprise because um, I had heard that there were, you know, a lot of uh, unhappiness with the U.S. Soccer Development Academy as well as those within the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, and some of that angst had uh, had been a a direct byproduct of the fact that Major League Soccer had been pushing to create kind of their own tier within the development academy. They really didn't want to be mingled, uh, you know, co-mixing, mingled with other development academies. They wanted to stick to themselves in isolation. They didn't want any outside competition. And, and, and really, that fits their MO, right? This is Major League Soccer to a T. We create artificial scarcity. We create value for ourselves by having mon- monopolistic control. If they can control the professional ranks uh, by controlling the first division and access to the first division, they can create equity and, and, and asset, uh, you know, grow their, their asset value class uh, for their property. They can do the same thing in the youth space. If they can, if they can create for themselves a tier that is on its own, that is is unrivaled in terms of competition, in in terms of their ranking, their status within the federation, then that creates more asset value for them, right? This is something that they can can lord over others. Well, if you're not in Major League Soccer, then it doesn't count. If you're not in an MLS account, academy, then it doesn't count. And, and so they were pushing for this within the Development Academy. An announcement came out months ago that this was going to happen, that Major League Soccer was basically going to create kind of a tier one status for themselves. And despite your on-field performance, uh, there were clubs and teams uh, throughout the Development Academy that were going to be uh, essentially relegated to a lower status, to a lower tier, just because they didn't have the three initials next to their name, MLS. And, uh, and so this news came out at the end of last week, going into the weekend, this rumor, uh, and it, it, I first saw it from Glenn Crooks, who said that that an announcement was coming as early as the next day, so this would have been Friday or Saturday, um, that uh, that the Development Academy was terminated. And, and not just terminated for this season because of coronavirus, that the whole thing was going to be terminated, shut down. And I was like, wow, this, is, this goes beyond uh, what I, I had heard. And, and I reached out to some sources, uh, and I got mixed feedback on the validity of the rumor. I got some that were in denial that said they had not even heard this and others who said, yes, this is definitely happening. Um, and over the weekend, the, the rumors kept swirling. Uh, others said that from their sources that there's a vote coming up this week. We, we don't know, right? U.S. Soccer's not made any public announcements about it. So we don't really know what's going on with this. We don't really know what's about to happen with the U.S. Soccer Development Academy. But Here's one thing that I think um, we need to do in in response to this conversation, and that is this. The U.S. Soccer Development Academy has been used so far to create a classist system 
within the Federation in the youth space. It, it, it has been used uh, as an official have and have not. And Major League Soccer didn't like the fact that they were having to share the have status. They, rather, they would rather everyone else be in the have not status so that Everyone has to come to them. That is Don Garber's goal. He has stated that every dollar that does not go through Major League Soccer is a dollar lost. He wants to capture everything. That's why they, in Soccer United Marketing, have started trying to infiltrate U.S. youth soccer. And they've tried to create uh, setups where, like, like this, this tiered system, where they're creating this arbitrary value, what, what I call uh, you know, false asset value uh, for themselves. It's an arbitrary thing that they've done. It's not based on merit. It's not based on who is actually doing well on the field. It's not even based on who's developing players. When you set up a system like this, a tiered system of haves and have-nots and not based on sporting merit, what you actually do is you incentivize stealing players. You incentivize recruiting players. You actually disincentivize the development of a player. Your, your priority is just to go out and keep finding the best players, not actually develop the ones you have. Because if you have this artificial scarcity creating this propped up fake asset value like monopoly status does for a company or in this case a soccer organization then you're able to then go out into the communities and say look if you want to play at the top you have to come to us we don't have to develop players we just go out and steal them we go out and recruit them we ask you to come to us if you want to get into the U.S. youth national team setup, you come through us. You come through us. The Development Academy hasn't been creating world-class players, and neither has Major League Soccer. And in, in, in light of that, over the last few years, what Major League Soccer, I think, has come to realize is that in order for us to have a better hold from a marketing and sales pitch, we've got to have fewer people at the table so that they have to come to us. This isn't good for American soccer. It never has been. But with the uh, this supposed announcement coming up on the cancellation, the termination of the Development Academy, it brings to light another interesting aspect of youth soccer in this country. It is entirely too expensive to play. Period. And anyone who tells you that it's acceptable for you to be paying thousands of dollars to play youth soccer in your backyard are coming for your pocketbooks. They're not interested in your best interest or in the best interest of your kid. They're looking to make money, period. Now, I understand that programs cost money. And I understand that clubs around the world incentivize development and those television dollars and other aspects filter through the system and allow clubs to operate so that families don't have to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to play the game. I get it. And that is missing in this country, plain and simple. And I understand that. 
Pay-to-play soccer will not disappear tomorrow, and it will never entirely go away. After all, when you're in Europe, you still play and pay club fees to do that. The difference is, is you're not mortgaging your house or having to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars to do so. You're spending a fraction of what you do in America. And there's a few reasons why this is. Our classist system is one big piece of this. We've created this fake value, this artificial scarcity model, and we've propped up the likes of Major League Soccer and then later the Development Academy system as a whole. And we've allowed clubs to go into areas and say, look, if you want to play and play at a real level, you have to come play with us. And oh, by the way, to do that, we've got limited spots. So you're going to have to pay us a lot of money. And not only that, but when you go to a game or go to a weekend or a tournament, you have to stay at this hotel and it's going to cost you every time we go. You've got to pay for the coaches and you've got to pay a club fee every time we travel. There are all these add-on fees that, that come in the form of pay-to-play youth soccer. It's a problem. It's a big issue for families around this country. The Federation has not decided to tackle this financial hurdle for families. And if ever there was a time to do it, it's right now. Right now, while everything is shut down, U.S. soccer should be redesigning the American soccer system. They should be looking at rules and restrictions and guidelines that every organization, every member of them has to follow. That would mean U.S. club soccer, U.S. youth soccer, AYSO. There are others who say that's just not possible. The Federation can't force them to do so. That's a lie. And someone's lied to you and you've believed a lie. I know this to be true because years ago, Little League Baseball said enough is enough when it comes to pitch counts. And they told every park, every coach, and every team that you cannot pitch players more than certain amounts or you will be in trouble. The Federation could do the same if it actually wanted to lead and lead American soccer into a new way of guiding, governing, and organizing the sport. The problem with the Development Academy is it didn't go far enough. Like many things in the U.S. government, a lot of times there's some really good ideas, but it never actually goes all the way. That, too, is the case here with the Development Academy. Because not everyone was welcomed into the Federation's system of league. This league system was not readily accessible or available to everyone. It further cemented this classist system. What should happen at the youth level is the same thing that should happen at the adult level. Meritocracy, sporting merit, one system of connected leagues. It should be organized around metropolitan markets and population density to reduce travel, to reduce the the financial burdens on families, and it should be based on the quality of the teams. If you're a really good team, you should play at a higher level. If you're you're on the, the up and coming 
and you're not quite there, then you're a level or two below. Who cares? Just go play. Instead, we have teams that drive past two, three, four other clubs and never play those teams. They never play those clubs. We have 14-year-olds getting on airplanes and flying across the country to play one match. That is insane. Completely absurd. And that is an, a, a way, an area that the Federation, like Little League Baseball, could put a stop to this kind of treatment of our youth players. Families should not be asked to make that kind of commitment. It is crazy. Crazy to expect a 14, 15-year-old to get on a plane and fly across the country for one match in a league format. I get it. Maybe in the summer there's a national tournament and you won your area of the country and you get put in with 50 other teams or or 30 other teams or 12 other teams and you play a week-long tournament. Okay, fine. But that should not be the rule. That should be the exception. Instead, everything is upside down and we're asking families to pay way too much. This news about the Development Academy, it's not really going to solve anything because what happens when it's gone? If they follow through and terminate this thing, what actually happens? Nothing really changes. We're going to have people claiming they are the haves in the ECNL and a higher level of haves in Major League Soccer. And there's going to be everyone else who's vying for their position and stake. And the Federation is going to be washing their hands of their duties to lead all of us into an organized system of connected leagues. Our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com. And uh, they, they do a great job of connecting you to on-field ideas. They create these really cool products. And if you haven't checked them out, you should. And, and do that by going to D-U-K-T-I-G Brand.com and use the promo code D-W-SHOW. You'll get 10% off of your order. Order yourself a notebook. Order yourself a, a journal or, or one of their other really cool products. You'll be happy that you did. And uh, it'll get you connected into the game where it really matters, where you can make a difference on the field. Uh, it, it, it's such an important thing right now to support small businesses. And this is one you can, you can throw your heart behind ductickbrand.com. Use promo code DW show. You'll get 10% off of your order. We'll be right back with Ken Bensinger.
Into the show. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday morning. We are pleased and delighted to have joining us again on the show, Ken Benzinger. Ken, how are you? How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Doing well. Glad uh, you were able to uh, join us today on the show. Uh, we wanted to bring you on to talk about uh, some of the uh, sports news that is taking place, which is primarily off the field uh, right now with everything being shut down around the world, the crazy times that we live in uh, at the moment. Um, but uh, last week, news uh, broke about uh, some Fox executives uh, being indicted. Uh, there was some more news about uh, FIFA and uh, some of the, uh, the 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 fact that the, the Swiss I- investigations have yielded very uh, very little and all of these indictments are still coming uh from from the u.s perspective wanted to uh, just kind of get your thoughts on some of these issues starting with uh, the fox executives uh that were indicted uh last week as part of this continuing probe uh what have what have you learned so far about uh these indictments and this uh kind of new path uh that the investigation uh is heading down at the moment yeah, so this was a new indictment that came down in, in the same old case we've been hearing about for almost five years now. Um, so this is what they call a superseding indictment, meaning that it picks up where the last indictment left off and and um, and uh, moves moves the, the ball a bit forward. So this is a conti- this is uh, can be clearly seen as a continuation of that case, um, and uh, and. Uh, uh, sort of a headline. One of the headlines on it, as you su- suggest, is these two former Fox executives. Their names are Hernan Lopez and Carlos Martinez, um, and they were both high-ranking uh, officials um, within Fox um, in their international channels, which was um, primarily focused on Latin America. Um, and Hernan Lopez was the uh, head of that unit, and he reported directly to Rupert Murdoch's son, Lachlan. Um, so, a pretty high-ranking guy. Um, Carlos Martinez reported um, to Lopez, and um, uh, what the indictment charges is that that over a long period of time, years, they were involved in a scheme to pay bribes to South American soccer officials in exchange for the uh, television rights uh, to the Copa Libertadores, which is um, for your listeners who probably a lot of know about it, but those who don't, Libertadores is like the Champions League um, of South America. So um, they they paid uh, bribes for years and years, according to the prosecutors, so that Fox could get rights to those uh, to those tournaments. And then uh, later on, they also started paying bribes to get Fox um, the Copa America, which is uh, you know like the Euros or like uh, equivalent um, for South America. So. That's what they allege in a long period of that. And both those men were charged with uh, wire fraud and with money laundering charges. And in terms of their pleas, have they, uh, I, I thought I read the other day where they actually were entering pleas, uh, maybe remotely technology video conference or some sort. Uh, did that, did that indeed happen? And uh, what, what were their pleads uh, or pleas so far? Yeah, so they both ple- they both pleaded on Thursday because of coronavirus. They were allowed to uh, do something which is pretty unusual, which was allowed to make a plea virtually, meaning by on teleconference rather than in person. Um, 
uh, it doesn't happen very often, but in this case, um, it was permitted. Um, and they both pleaded not guilty. Um, so that's where, that's where they stand is they both said they're not guilty. Um, and, uh, and intend to fight this. Now you, you brought up, uh, Rupert Murdoch's son, um, and, and that, uh, one of these, uh, individuals reported directly to, uh, Lachlan, I believe is, uh, is, uh, the son that, that you were uh, referring to, um, in, in terms of that aspect, is there any indication have you seen or in, in your research, um, how high up this this in fact went i mean obviously we know these two guys were indicted but is there any indication that this goes all the way to the very top of of fox uh with with the murdochs themselves and in kind of a follow-up to that um when you answer that is have you seen any connections into Fox as it relates to domestic here in the U S any of their dealings? Is there any kind of, um, you know, smoke or any, any kind of indication that, that stateside uh, individuals within Fox um, are, you know, at risk here of indictments and, and wrong, you know, accusals of, of wrongdoing as well. Yeah. So um, on the first part of question about Rupert and Lachlan and any of the other Murdochs, uh, we, their names haven't come up. But we haven't seen them named or accused of anything. So I would stop way short of saying that we know that that's in fact happening. Um, I just honestly wouldn't begin to suggest I know anything about that. Um, uh, you know, obviously we know what the the command chain is in that company. And um, uh, we're thinking about that. We think it's, you know, one, one would logically think they are wonder whether they were in on if, if indeed these bribery schemes are, are true and provable, how far the chain to go. And it's not a, it's not a, you know, it's not crazy thinking to wonder that, but we haven't to this state seen the evidence directly linking them to that or to, you know, that it, that, it, <clears throat> that they were involved in any way other than sort of in the sense of buck stops here and the CEO should know. But, um, but your second part of the question, um, there in fact has been um, a strong connection now made to what Fox is doing in the U.S. and in the world of soccer. And um, specifically, the indictment says, uh, the new indictment says that these two fellows, Lopez and uh, Martinez, um, built connections with with uh, powerful South American uh, uh, soccer figures um, through the bribery scheme. So they because they're paying money to them to get to get the contracts. Um, they built personal relationships with them and they leveraged those personal relationships that were thanks to bribes um, to getting other kinds of rights beyond Libertadores and Copa America. And the ones they specifically refer to are the World Cup rights for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. And um, as a lot of uh, soccer fans in the States will know, um, the 2018 World Cup was the first one in years or in many in many cycles that was not on ESPN in the U.S., um, at least in English language broadcast, and um, instead was on Fox. And that was the, f- the fruit of uh, Fox getting that for the first time, um, uh, beating out ESPN. And um, it was a bit of a surprise when Fox got it. Um, and that Fox has it for 2022 and now also 2026 as well. So that'll be three straight World Cup cycles that Fox has the U.S. English language rights. And according to the indictment, they got those rights um, thanks to the, the bribery scheme by Lopez and by Martinez. So in, in terms of the bribery scheme and the, these accusations, um, 
you know, what is the likelihood that that deal would get nullified or, or FIFA would be forced to reopen in some kind of, you know, open bidding uh, situation uh, for, let's say, 2022 or, or at the very least 2026 uh, if it is, in fact, found that, that this accusation that's part of this indictment, which you would have to think if it's in there, they feel like they've got something that that backs that up for them to put that, um, you know, in the in the formal indictments, the written indictments. Um, yeah. What do you what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, we saw uh, something similar to this in the original indictments where they basically said that that the, the different groups that were accused at the time had acquired all kinds of rights, including to the Copa America Centenario, which was played in the U.S., um, and it had been um, the, the, the rights had been acquired through illicit uh, activity, through bribes and that kind of stuff. And yet, despite that, the Centenario happened anyway, and um, all the, they, they did renegotiate the TV rights in that case. So it didn't cancel the tournament. It just led to renegotiation of the rights, um, uh, at least partially. Um, but there's some controversy because some of the parties involved in the uh, original indictments uh, in South America were allowed to keep their rights. So it's a little bit all over the place. It, it's actually a really interesting question about whether if they could prove that Fox got the rights in a in a sinister manner, um, whether that's something that um, – uh, on any level could be, you know, renegotiated or, 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 or taken back to market. And w- to what degree the U.S. justice system would want to play a role in that, I don't really know. I think it'll be interesting to watch. Now, in terms of the domestic side of things here, um, just kind of continuing to follow the trail um, from South America, north or north uh, bound back up here into the States. Mm-hmm. What... What are, if any, have has there been any connections either to the United States Soccer Federation as part of this whole scheme and scandal, uh, and and also Soccer United Marketing, their uh, you know broadcast rights and and commercial rights partner um, that are obviously heavily involved with Fox uh, as well as ESPN. Um, has there been any links so far in any of these indictments or uh, have you seen anything in particular that that might uh, spell some trouble for uh, the Federation or for Soccer United Marketing in regards to, um, you know, they were they were heavy, heavy involved with Copa America mm-hmm. 2016, which you just mentioned um about you know the the, the previous uh, indictments and scandals. Now here with Fox again, uh, these officials coming out with, with with these indictments coming out against them, and and the the links reiterated about the the World Cup rights as part of this. Uh, have you seen anything there so far that that is providing that even if it's not in the public eye yet that we may be heading towards individuals within American soccer um, or or organizations within American soccer that uh, get caught up in this, that goes beyond just Fox and some of their executives. Yeah. You know, I I mean, it's a good question. A lot of people over the years have wondered to what degree um, this is going to touch U S soccer and, People wondered if it was going to touch Sunil Gulati, and people were wondered if it was going to touch uh, uh, his successor, um, 
Uh, and, you know, it hasn't. I mean, as far as we know, to this day, it has. There's a lot of questions about whether someone like Ugladi might have, uh, at least to some degree, helped the prosecution. We don't really know. We know that Ugladi was very close to Chuck Blazer. Um, we don't really know what that means. I mean, one would think that if there was dirt on him, Blazer would have had to tell it. And yet we haven't seen him charged. Um, and we've never seen any indications that uh, we've never seen evidence that any of the contracts that uh, Saki Native Marketing um, has struck um, uh, were incorporated or questioned in this case. So I don't know if uh if what it means is that the so the the prosecutors are giving the u.s soccer federation a free pass or that they didn't find that they did look into it they didn't find evidence or what um you know we we know that um uh, that there was some there was some funny business with Chuck Blazer at CONCACAF um, that that uh, happened before Socketed Marketing was created, um, and Socketed Marketing wants to give us the impression that they don't they don't do the same kind of dirty business that those people did. And I, you know, we we certainly have seen a lot of smoke, but but to this date, the case hasn't shown fire on that. And I think we may um, we may have to wait longer to find out. So in terms of, you know, looking at cases like this and and just want to go to the land of hypothetical for just a moment uh, as someone who would be investigating and researching, um, you know, this certainly does not seem to be just a sequential linear process that it's more of a spider web of, you know, tracking down leads and this lead leads to another lead. And, you know, I mean, I've never, uh, you know, worked in any kind of criminal investigation but I've watched enough TV shows to, <laughs> to see yeah. to see the board right and, and then we and we start drawing lines out from a picture on a board and who is this person connected to etc etc and you see that with a mob and you see that with other you know uh, t- type of uh, conspiracies and, uh, and other things so in in this kind of investigation that has been going and, and ongoing for years and certainly these latest in, uh, indictments don't seem to close the book on this investigation it just seems to be the next in a in in the series of events um at at what point from a hypothetical standpoint could you looking at what we know about fifa and concacaf um and and the individuals involved in the different federations and confederations that they they've been associated with or uh, accused of wrong dealings with is it logical to think and assume that U.S. soccer is either like com- completely just under a rock or somebody either directly or through intermediaries has to be involved in this somehow from a hypothetical hypothetical standpoint. If you were to look at this just, you know, as a if you were kind of writing this as like a movie or a or a TV show, would, would, would it not be an easy conclusion to go that somebody somewhere knew something and it goes beyond just what we know so far? Would, would that be a safe assumption at this point obviously not naming any names or pointing any specific fingers because we we don't know what we don't know yet but does it not leave questions more questions to be answered i mean at least questions to be answered but i you know that i think works on the baseline assumption that something that's outplay did happen at the federation uh or it's talking to marketing and the only question is whether you know um they were ever properly uh, caught or not and i just don't know whether we can say that i don't know what we can say whether there absolutely was foul play at the federation or not um 
we might think that, but we, but the way you're asking the question is, is sort of saying, well, it was there. The only question is, will it ever come out in the case? And the answer I would say is, I've heard, certainly heard of many, many people believe that that is a organization that behaves in a way that might be seen as corrupted, but I haven't seen ever anything um, beyond innuendo. I've never seen actual proof that that's the case as opposed to what people believe. Um, I've seen, don't get me wrong, I spent a lot of time looking into this and I'm, you know, I think there is some clear, for example, the way that the Federation and soccer data marketing uh, coexist and the way that the board is composed and all that. There's some clear apparent conflicts of interest. There were some conflicts in the past that I think, you know, one could reasonably question whether it violated um, rules regarding uh, nonprofits and whether there was a uh, proper hands, uh, arm's length distance, excuse me. But I don't know if any of that rises to the criminal level, um, which, you know, would need to be involved things that are that are that um, violate codes of conduct and violate um, um, fraud laws and that kind of stuff. And um, that that's that's a real question if it is if it jumps from a, from questionable behavior it might be on a civil level questionable to things that that appear to be criminal and i just haven't seen the evidence not saying it doesn't exist but i haven't seen it and if the prosecutors or the investigators have it they've never let anyone see it yeah i mean i i like you have heard a lot of innuendo behind the scenes a lot of assumptions behind the scenes um and and it goes beyond, you know, what we know, like specifically with Chuck Blazer, uh, other individuals who there have been, um, you know, the, the, this assumption that, that immunity deals have been in, involved uh, as part of this investigation in order to, to, to really uh, get some of this, this going in the first place that included, you know, set bladder, et cetera, which uh, leads me to uh, this, this other point about uh, FIFA and uh, the Swiss uh, government uh, has mm-hmm. continually failed to, you know, f- from all appearances to do their duties in, in yeah. terms of, investigating fifa uh it, it seems as though uh it is it too is corrupt uh when it comes to the, these investigations and looking in to uh to things um and and news came out uh over the weekend uh, about uh their them dropping i believe the case with set bladder um mm-hmm. from a swiss perspective uh, what have you seen in this whole you know litany of, of of investigations and indictments they're all coming stateside they're not coming from uh, fifa's mm-hmm. home country and uh and, and what have you in your investigations and research in the past what have you seen in regards to that relationship between fifa and the swiss government yeah, and I think that's area where I feel a little more confident in saying uh, and supporting what you're saying, which is that it's just a, it's like a downright fiasco how the um, how the Swiss have handled all this. Um, uh, you know, I think that um, this latest thing dropping dropping the charges against uh, or the investigation against Bladder, now we're down to one thing, but 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 they dropped one of the two they're looking at um, is is you know uh, very indicative of the way that they've behaved for a long time. I mean, I want to be clear: we don't know if Bladder. Uh, did bad things or not and we certainly have a reason to suspect it but we haven't seen the evidence what we do know is the swiss have been working this four and a half years now um coming on five years and um uh, made a lot of noise about it and delivered nothing and you know if they 
they could have been a lot more quiet about it or a lot more efficient about it if all they're going to get to was nothing. Um, so uh, that that shows us, uh, you know, and along the way, there was many issues that came up that also cast a lot of doubt on what they're doing. You had um, one of the one of the investigators in the, in the case was removed from the case because um, he had some conflicts of interest. Um, and uh, he, he, you know, he was kicked out of the case. And then you had the attorney general of Switzerland, who it turned out was having secret meetings with Gianni Infantino to just ostensibly to discuss the case, which is totally not allowed. And um, he got rebuked for that and had to um, recuse himself from the case and also was docked like 8% of his pay. His pay is reduced to 8% um, sort of as a punishment for that misbehavior. And um, you start seeing things like that and you think, what, you know, what is going on with this investigation? And, uh, and when they end up dropping, dropping the charges, you really think the whole thing smells like a rat. Um, and you also think back to past investigations that uh, Swiss uh, judicial authorities have, have, done, have done against FIFA and how disappointing they've been. And probably the most famous is the investigation of ISL, uh, International Sport and Leisure, which um, uh, had uh, for many years controlled the, the major rights that FIFA had in the world for the World Cup and other major events. Um, and it was pretty much documented in that case that um, that uh, Avalanche, the former FIFA president, and his son-in-law, Ricardo Teixeira, had taken huge bribes, gigantic bribes, um, and there was documented evidence of it. The, the prosecutors showed it, um, and instead of um, actually bringing charges against either of them, it let them pay a small fine that represented just a fraction of, of all the bribes they took um, and let them go away scot-free. So um, there's a pretty long tradition, getting back almost 20 years now, of Swiss prosecutors doing uh, as little as possible um, to really crack down on FIFA. So you, you bring up um, a an interesting point here about the the discussions uh, of FIFA and the Swiss government, uh, mm-hmm. and, and and you brought up Infantino's name, uh, who is the current president of FIFA. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was an article by Philippe Auclair talking about mm-hmm. uh, Infantino's revenge, uh, yep. and it was about the the whole situation uh, with setting up a normalization committee in trinidad and tobago um yep. looking at at uh fifa now i mean obviously we can go back and look at bribes and other things of the past but infantino is is in charge right now he is president of fifa at the moment mm-hmm. uh what have you observed in looking into him and fifa as they continue to at least well you know, publicly, we'll say at times we're trying to clean things up, whether whether we believe that or not is a different story. Um, but uh, what have you seen in terms of Infantino and and uh, and how he is conducting business at FIFA at the moment? It, it, have you uh, had any reason to be alarmed? Uh, it, it, are there questions that need to be answered? Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, his leadership at the moment and his leadership of FIFA and, you know, know some of these uh you know ongoing investigations and scenarios like you mentioning him uh, speaking with the, FI- the the swiss government about the the fifa case uh what what are you seeing in regards to to infantino and his involvement in in leadership with fifa yeah i mean if he, uh, i think that he he came in um talking a big game about wanting reform and that he was going to bring um, you know, reform to the thing and clean it all up to FIFA and to world football, world soccer. And um, uh, it, it really looks a little bit like this kind of standard campaign buster we see. I don't think he's particularly interested 
uh, has shown particular interest in rooting out the corruption. If anything, he's, I think he, what he wants um, is to have as little outside interference and oversight as possible. Um, he was accused early on a few times of some um, potential ethical briefs, uh, uh, um, breaches of, of in his job um, and mostly got away from it. But we learned also that, um, you know, that, ethics committee um didn't have the kind of independence that um it had you know that it should have or, or even as much as it had in the past um that the people the person he brought in to run the ethics committee seemed compromised in a lot of ways and so even though he was you know exonerated according to fifa there was there was certainly real questions about <clears throat> about how clean that whole uh investigation was um and when problems have erupted around the world um, he tends to have taken a heavy-handed approach and also a particularly non-transparent approach. Um, there was a lot of noise in Africa earlier this year and, and the end of last year, and um, he sent in the Secretary General to clean things up, which a lot of people in Africa said was um, not within his right to do, um, that he basically sort of um, in an authoritarian way took over African soccer and sent a Secretary General, which wasn't her job, um, to do that anyway, um, and people didn't see much evidence that much was cleaned up. But six months later, I don't remember how many months, um, she announced that it was sort of mission accomplished and everything was clean now, which everyone thought was hilarious. So that reminds me of the good old or the bad old days of FIFA when everything was just another one whitewashed job after another um, to to clean things up and make people stop paying attention to them. Um, so I, I mean, I don't, you know, I would love to hear someone convince me otherwise, but what I see is sort of business as usual. Speaking of business as usual, we, we've talked about Chuck Blazer and uh, CONCACAF. And just for the audience, if you're, if you're not fully aware of how world governance works in the game of soccer, FIFA, FIFA governs the world. And then, and then each kind of continental or somewhat continental federation uh, governs its own affairs. So CONCACAF, you know, for us has North America, Central America, the Caribbean, uh, South America's CONMEBOL, uh, obviously UEFA um, covers, uh, you know, Europe and, and so on and so forth. It, when, when we look at the, the governance at the, the world level with FIFA, the confederation level at, at CONCACAF, CONMEBOL, UEFA, etc. And then down into the, the national federations, we know Australia's had its issues uh, of recent in terms of uh, promotion relegation, and FIFA's been uh, kind of involved in that uh, on some level, uh, trying to uh, work with the Australian Federation. Uh, I, I just mentioned the article from just a, a couple weeks ago uh, referring to the Normalization Committee for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, you know, they, they've been involved with Argentina. Uh, they've been involved recently, FIFA sending in, as you mentioned, into to, uh, Africa um, with, with that confederation, the African confederation. Um, looking at where, where these organizations are, um, it seems to me, um, and knowing what I know of, of how the federation, the U.S. Soccer Federation operates, uh, at the board level, um, and, and the, the conflicts of interest that are there, the operations uh, and decisions and how they are made. Um, you know, for example, over the weekend, uh, news started uh, coming out on social media that the that U.S. Soccer was uh, 
about to terminate the U.S. Soccer Development Academy program. Um, and there were quite a few people uh, within the Federation that were, were surprised by this rumor, but yet it, 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 it abounded and abounded. And, and it seems that that's coming up for a vote sometime this week, uh, possibly uh, in terms of, of the termination vote. It, how Im- important, how critical is it for us in, in, in terms of the, the game on a global level, looking at governance to, to get transparency uh, as well as uh, oversight and accountability um, implemented at FIFA, at the confederation levels, and down into the national federation levels in order to once and for all truly clean up the sport? Because it just doesn't seem like uh, federation, confederation, or the the world federation in fifa at any of these levels that we are seeing true transparency accountability and oversight that gives anyone confidence that things are are actually being cleaned up at the moment well yeah and i think this is an evidence sort of um of of the whole that fifa has done for itself here um right fifa um uh you know, three or four decades of bad faith will, will uh, have succeed in totally destroying anyone's belief in anything you say, right? And so um, a place like FIFA um, might, in fact, let's suppose they were, had cleaned up their um, uh, act, right? Like, who would believe them at this point? Who would believe what they say? They've kind of ruined their credibility um, and and I don't know how they, they earn that public trust again. So, and U.S. soccer you know, is, is, is clearly part of that problem. Um, we just see the behavior and some of the stuff that's happened with the way that the uh, ministers of um, Cordero and other of, of U.S. soccer were actively attacking and, and sort of besmirching the name of the women's team um, in, in an attempt to win a lawsuit without thinking about what they're doing. It was like shooting themselves in the foot, I thought. And, and it was another example of the ways that they didn't listen to their constituency and were uh, not interested in being in an open public discourse, but continue with this sort of imperious attitude of they're on top and everyone else has to do um, what they say and not question them. And I think that attitude is, is one that people in that world sort of learned, I think, from the people on top. It's just... It's very disheartening. It's a, it's a group of people who just don't believe that they anyone can tell them what to do. It is disheartening and, and you know, completely, in my view, unnecessary, mm-hmm. um, you know, unless this is the big caveat. You don't want transparency. You don't want oversight. You don't want accountability mm-hmm. un- unless you're doing things you don't want people to know about. I mean, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Right. Like if you're doing stuff that's proper and in the light, why should you care? This is, you know, I am, a, I, I, I don't like the idea of, of a government having, you know, the ability to surveil all aspects of your life. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the flip side of that for me is, although I don't like it at the same time, um, I also, it, feel like if I'm not running around doing improper things or illegal things, um, I shouldn't have anything to worry about, even though I don't like it and don't want it. Um, you know, the, the oversight and accountability when it comes to soccer and it comes to the Federation Confederation and, and obviously up to FIFA with the, with the world governing body. Um, it, it seems as though whenever you have the real conversation about, 
accountability, about uh, oversight, um, you know, uh, transparency. Uh, that is the the area where they they seem to fight the most. Uh, th- they would almost rather pay you or sell you know settle something or you know uh, give you something to make you go away than to force them to do all of their dealings in the light. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 to me, that's just that's disturbing. It's uh, it's frustrating, uh, especially from an American perspective, where I I think American soccer could be the greatest soccer country on earth with our sports economy and all of the advantages that we could have if we chose to harness those. But it just seems like right now the the status quo in the the kind of uh, interwoven relationship um, it's. It's more like a, almost like a cartel um, at the top of U.S. soccer. And although they may switch a name out here or there, like with Carlos Cordero resigning, you know, you brought him up resigning uh, over this U.S. women's national team case. He's still on the board as past president of U.S. soccer, right? Like he's, he's, he didn't actually go anywhere. Now, does he have the the power he had uh, a month ago no uh, because he, he's not the acting president but he is still there he, he is able to go into any boardroom they did not uh, ban him they did not vote him uh, out or sanction him from a, from a ethics standpoint or any any of those things that would disqualify him from serving as past president so he is still allowed in the boardrooms still allowed to be a part of the process and and, and, until I hear different he is still chair of World Cup 2026 uh, organizing committee now that may have changed an announcement may be forthcoming but a month later I still have not received any uh, updates as to 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 whether that's actually changed or not which is a a powerful and and also uh, personally um, you know beneficial position to be in uh, uh, head of the 2026 uh, World Cup Organizing Committee. So, you know, looking at U.S. soccer and people go, well, we changed and now we have a, our first female president. She's been on the board and around the board for a very long time. And uh, she's not an outsider in Cindy Parlo Cohn. And Carlos yeah. Cordero is still sitting there. The only person that officially rotated off of the board, but is still going to be involved in in conversations and probably attending a lot of board meetings, no matter what, is going to be Sunil Galati because he's still on the the Exco with FIFA. So you know yep. he, he he's not going anywhere. So what really did change a month ago, other than a PR strategy? What <laughs> what did we see? You know, uh, yeah. So for me, I mean, it's, it's, it's frustrating. Like PR. I feel like the PR thing is something you're hitting, you're hitting the nail on the head there. I mean, FIFA's response has always been, and, and U.S. soccer maybe taking a page from that, is to, is to find the most expedient PR solution to these problems, but not really resolve them, right? Um, it's, it's not, the point is not to resolve the problem. The point is to sort of get the public eye off their back. Um, and as you say, if someone gets pushed out of the job and still uh, is still there, then what's what's going on? You should either kick them all the way out or keep them where they are. You would think. So what what these half steps don't make sense, except for to be able to say to the public, look, we he's not our president anymore. 
Right. And, and, and not only that, the other thing that, that is disturbing about that whole incident is that board members and members of the athlete council uh, all came out talking about how they had no idea that this was the language. And they tried to paint it like Carlos was the only person that knew. What are you doing on the board? If you don't know the strategy of the federation in, a, in your highest profile uh, legal challenge, how, what are you doing to provide oversight to the Federation, number one? And number two, not only did the, the musical chair PR stunt take place, they also you know put Lydia Walkie, the chief legal officer for the Federation, on administrative leave pending an investigation. There's not been any announcement that I've seen so far on whether she's going to keep her job or be dismissed. I mean, you know... Looking at the Federation, zooming in here on the U.S. versus FIFA and CONCACAF and the rest of the world, it seems like the same stuff that's happening over in Switzerland is happening right here. And and we're still nowhere near getting to a place of transparency, accountability, and oversight. Um, you know, in, in, in looking at the the, you know, cases and the indictments that's come out, um, you know, Obviously, things are nefarious have been taking place at least enough of a level for the U.S. government to to feel confident in some indictments. Um, And I I just would love to see that investigation continue. Um, And I would love to see, you know, changes happen from a from a governance standpoint. The the problem I see is that, you know, you, you start looking to how that can happen and you've got you know, some heavy hitters within major league soccer that have a lot of power, the Bob crafts of the world who, who wield a lot of influence and sway over the Federation. Um, and you look at the, the, the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee, and you've got a former Wasserman executive Wasserman media group executive who is heading up the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee. Um, you've got, you've got, uh, a former Wasserman executive who is now the CEO of U.S. Soccer. Wasserman Media Group is heading up the uh, Olympics 2028 in, in Los Angeles. Um, you know, it, it, you, you just look at these things and you're like, I mean, at what point do we all just go like, this isn't working and they're not going right. to fix themselves? Right. So Yeah, it starts to feel like the whole thing starts to look inside job, right? It starts to feel like there's a small group of people who get everything and control everything and what and and who's being served by this, right? Completely. And, you know, yeah. And I, and I don't, I wish I could tell you I had to answer that question. I don't though. I mean, you know, um, I don't, I, I think that the, the, the criminal case we've been talking about has been incredibly important for the sport. And also we kind of learned that apparently no one else, no other law enforcement agency in the world seems prepared to do anything like that. Um, but I don't, uh, I'm not totally convinced that, um, that we can rely on them to take care of every problem. I just don't think that's likely. Um, uh, I just, I think that, that the prosecution has shown that it took a really big swing early on and has taken relatively smaller swings since then. Um, you know, they've been, they've been picking them, um, uh, their shots pretty carefully. And, um, I don't know, we haven't seen a lot of indications that they're going to go root out all the problems in, um, in U.S. soccer, for example, and um, if, if it happens, I think there's a lot of people who welcome it. But I, I'm not holding my breath. I just think that they have their limitations of what they're going to do, and I don't. 
you know, unless someone sees up my have and I haven't seen proof that they're going after after the Federation. Yeah, I know. It's it's definitely uh, frustrating. Just just, you know, because I, I look at it from a potential perspective. I, ju- I just think mm-hmm. there's so much more we could be uh, as a soccer country if we cleaned up our act and really, um, you know, changed this kind of insider trading type of uh, culture at the top of the Federation and really open it up. Uh, and, and like I said, do all the, the decision making and the processes uh, out in the public. Transparency, accountability, oversight. To me, it's just so necessary to do that and clean that up. So hopefully it'll happen some somehow. Uh, but like you, I, I don't uh, anticipate uh, uh, the, the, the U.S. government uh, stepping in through their investigations to clean everything up. So uh, I'll take yeah, whatever just, they I do. Mean, look, exactly. I'll take whatever they do, too. I just I don't I think that. Um, we start to get wishful thinking and we think they'll solve every problem, but um, either for lack of evidence or for lack of interest or whatever the case may be, I haven't seen um, strong evidence that they're going to go after uh, our, our, our home team, so to speak. Yeah, I agree. Well, Ken, thanks for coming on the show. How can people connect with you, follow your work? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter. Ken Bensinger is my uh, handle, pretty simple. Um, and uh you know, with everyone stuck in their houses right now, it's a great opportunity to pick up a book that I wrote called Red Card, which is a pretty in-depth explanation of how this case began and how it got to the um, to all the way to the trial stage in 2017. So I think um, I'm, I'm obviously self-promotional here, but I really recommend you pick up Red Card, take a look. I think once you read it, all this stuff will make a lot more sense. Uh, and uh, we all have a lot more free time in our hands. So pick it up if you can. Absolutely. I co-signed that and I can't wait for the sequel. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Take care. Stay safe. You too. That is Ken Binziger. We will be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. bad water and a lack of toilets kills more people than all the wars in the world we know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth and when you can bring water into communities it truly transforms them it changes everything and you could know that you'd made a difference you could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink, and we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for watching the show. Thanks for tuning in today. As always, we appreciate it. I hope you had a great Easter weekend. Big thanks to Ken Benziger for joining us as always. We'll see you again tomorrow.